Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Warren Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Benedivo, and today we have the privilege of hosting the Chief Revenue Officer of Shopify, Bobby Morrison. Bobby has had quite the illustrious career. He spent over 19 years at Verizon, getting up to the level of Senior Vice President, moved on to Microsoft, and most recently served as the Chief Revenue Officer of Intuit as well. But in joining Shopify in 2022, this was Bobby's first real time serving high up at a company that was founder-led. So we spent a lot of time talking about the differences between working at these fast-moving founder-led companies that really push basic assumptions and working at more, let's call it institutional, bureaucratic, and established enterprises. Not only did we talk a lot about Shopify, their path forward, they're moving into more of enterprise spaces and the future of e-commerce, especially with respect to fintech, but we also spoke a lot about management, how Bobby views his career, and he gave some advice to some of us looking for how we can mimic such a wonderful career. So join us for this enlightening discussion with Bobby Morrison as we uncover lessons from his career journey and insights into the evolving world of e-commerce and fintech. Let's get started. And a warm welcome to Bobby Morrison, Chief Revenue Officer of Shopify. Uh, Bobby, so you know, I recently read an article you wrote, 180 Days at a Founder-Led Company on LinkedIn, which I highly recommend to all of our listeners. For some background, uh, you spent 19 plus years at Verizon, three plus years at Microsoft and Intuit each. And now you've come into Shopify, your first founder-led company. Um, what pushed you to write this article? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, thank you, Joshua, for having me uh, on the podcast. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, look, I had spent 180 days at Shopify and um, things had started to crystallize for me. And, and I realized that I was sitting on the best kept secret in SaaS, and that was founder-led companies. And as you mentioned before, my, my career has predominantly been in very large organizations, and I've had a chance to work for some amazing people. Um, you know, John Stratton's out doing amazing things, turning around Frontier now. He was at Verizon, and Marnie Walden, who was uh, at Verizon as well, is doing great things at DraftKings, and Jean-Philippe Courtois at Microsoft, amazing things, and um, probably the best sales marketing leader I've ever had a chance to work with. And at Intuit, Alex Chris is now over at PayPal and, you know, did some amazing things there and learned a lot from him as well. And now, now I'm here at Shopify and 180 days in, I'm sitting with a, a leadership team that just looks at the business differently. And, um, I didn't know what I was missing until I got to a founder led company. And, you know, the speed with which the business moves, it's kind of like sitting in a, in a pick your fastest car. When it initially takes off, you're jolted back into your seat a little bit. <clears throat> and then you get comfortable and you start to realize that this is just a really well-run machine. Um, I started to experience that at about 180 days. And it's, it's um, I wanted to let the world know, I wanted to let others know that if they haven't yet had a chance to work at a founder-led company, I think it's it's an absolute requirement um, at some point in time in your career to see that speed, that innovation, that uh, lack of bureaucracy that just has mission obsession written all over it and and see what that's really like. So that's the reason why I wrote it. Do, do you mind me asking, why do you think that is like intellectually? You know, why do you think that is? Because it can't be a size thing because Shopify is huge, right? So... What's, what's causing that differentiation? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's purity of purpose and mission. Um, you know, look, I, I saw a little bit of this at Intuit, Scott Cook, um, who I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with. He's a personal mentor of mine. He's, he still has his fingerprints on the business there. Um, Toby is the same way. Toby is hands hands on the business. He's our founder is deeply engaged in the product development that we take to market. Um, he's deeply principled, first principled in how he thinks about the business. And there comes just an unbelievable clarity that you get in founder-led companies that I think gets lost in organizational design of professionally run businesses. I, I had a chance to speak with uh, Drew Houston, the CEO of Dropbox, not too long ago. And the, the language that they use, the passion that they have for the business is very, very similar to kind of what I've seen here at Shopify. And, 
at the end of the day, I think it, it starts with the, the leadership, the fact that you have an active founder still touching the business who's deeply passionate about our mission of being a hundred year company. <clears throat> and it permeates every part of the organization. I, I think <clears throat> professionally run businesses, sometimes, you know, they struggle with that. They've, they've built out big boards. They've, you know, created uh, very large systems and um, operating structures that over time can start to build up wax around the edges. And you start to confuse, um, you start to confuse the mission with your, your team objective. You know, there, there's a, um, I had a chance to spend some time with Brian Halligan, who's the CEO and founder, or was the CEO and founder, um, still founder of HubSpot. And he's, he talks about EV is greater than TV is greater than MV. EV is enterprise value is the most important thing that trumps team value. Team value trumps me value. And I think the thing that's different about founder-led companies is founder-led companies are enterprise-focused. They're, they're mission company first. Um, a lot of the more professionally run teams, I think, orient towards TV more than EV. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I, you know, I, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of founders on this podcast, and it does seem to be that they are so focused on making sure the purpose and the mission of the company permeates and is grained into everyone's mind. I, I really love that. Um, out of curiosity, is it, do you think that's that's the main difference? Sorry, do you think there is also a difference in organizational de design? Because you did mention that. Is there like literally in how the org structure is set up that is different that also uh, contributes to it? Or is it, or is it just the, the purpose is the main thing that you fixate on? Possibly. Possibly, you know, one of the things that attracted me to to Shopify was the opportunity to to lead go to market from awareness creation, the marketing side, all the way through the sales components to the post sale support and being able to connect and help our customers continue to grow. Most organizations would split that into three separate groups, and I've seen that. And you have a tendency then unfortunately, to ship your org chart. And when you do that, you create breaks in the customer journey. You also create artificial friction. Um, I see constantly in, in organizations, I've seen it over my career where, you know, marketing, for example, would say that their job ends at the MQL creation. And the sales teams would believe that their job didn't begin until it was a sales qualified lead. And that the support team, their job didn't start until after the customer had said yes, and we're getting them set up for their very first experience with our product. Um, the reality of it is none of those are true. Marketing's role is for the lifespan of that relationship with the customer. And it doesn't stop at MQL. And you can only say that when you start to blur the lines between the organizational structure and start to think about the customer as one consistent journey and a relationship that needs to be nurtured from the very first introduction to to showing them all the amazing things you can do for their business through setting them up and getting them onboarded to making sure that they're successful and can continue to grow to uh, to achieve their aspirations so I think organizational design can play a role in that but it is deeply cultural it's included in you know, we do things called life stories where we look for a certain type of curiosity, a, a grit, a founder-like mentality. Many of our executives across the company have, are founders themselves. They were, they've started businesses. They, they understand um, that deep connection to mission, that um, risk-taking that's required to get something started. And they brought that into Shopify and now have a particular role or function that they're responsible for, but they still bring that mindset um, to the job that they do every day inside the company. So we're a company of founders across the business, not just at the top. That that's awesome. How do you, how do you is there how do you structure it such that the marketing team does feel like there is this like consistency across the life cycle of the customer? Because I feel like 
it is easy to fall into that. Hey, this is a you know, marketing qualified lead, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it is easy to fall into that because it's so easy to measure it and just say, okay, this is you know my part. This is your part. How how do you structure it so that everyone feels like they have a piece of ownership throughout the life cycle? Yeah, you know, the conversations we've had um, with Adriana Burroughs, who who leads our marketing group. Um, she was the CMO at Payscale prior to coming to to Shopify. Is really around um, setting up the right success metrics and making sure that those metrics, yes, um, awareness is important. Yes, attribution of and LTV to CAC and all the financial fiscal responsibility metrics are important. Um, MQLs are important, but it doesn't stop there. So we add the rest of the customer journey. Um, how are we communicating after they decide to, to start with Shopify? Are we helping them take their first right step in our lifecycle management? <clears throat> that should show up in their usage and consumption over the first 90 days. Are we setting them up well? It should show up in um, you know, a lower call-in rate over those first 90 days. So you start to assign metrics across the customer journey help the marketing team understand that a really well-run data-informed set of next best actions um, help our merchants be wildly successful. And when they're wildly successful, we should celebrate that in the marketing group. And there's a couple markers along the line that tell us whether we're doing that well or not. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's definitely a unique approach. Um, go back, go back it's to a your... far more compelling job, by the way. It's a far more compelling job. If all it is is just creating MQLs, that's that's a very narrow view in my mind of what a really strong marketing organization does. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're giving everyone ownership of the whole customer journey, right? Um, are there any like are there any frameworks that that you guys have when you're leading meetings or whatever it might be to in order to make sure that everyone's looking at the whole customer journey? Is there any sort of framework or or I don't know vision board or or something like that? Like kind of how do, what's the framework that Shopify uses? Yeah, you know, we we do talk about the customer at every stage. Um, I'm not sure if there's a, a standard framework as much as there is a set of uh, measuring sticks that we use to say, are we doing an effective job of helping answer customers' questions, giving them choice, connecting them to the right partner ecosystem, getting them into uh, the app marketplace that help them enrich and customize the experiences that they want to enable. Um, there's so much that especially, you know, depending on the size of the business, early entrepreneurs need that guidance and help along the way to get set up and be successful. As you go into more mature businesses, um, you know, we bring uh, our professional service practices or our launch engineers to bear to work side by side with those types of companies and co-develop, co-design, co-implement um, piece by piece with them. We, we spend a lot of time, especially in our enterprise space, talking about how we coordinate our resources in a way that yields the best outcomes for our customers. So we have um, solution engineers, kind of like a football team. Um, every, every player on the field has a role to play. A wide receiver has to be fast and have good hands, and a defensive offensive line has to be able to block and quarterback throws. We, we've done the same thing in our go-to-market. We have account executives that are there that deeply understand our customer's business. They're aligned by industry. Uh, we have solution engineers that are a part of that pod that deeply understand the technology, not just our products and services, but the tech stacks of our customers so we can come along their side and help them integrate. Um, a professional services team that's attached to that pod that once the customer has aligned and said, hey, we're gonna go with Shopify, that we come along their side and make sure that they have an amazing launch. You know, we just uh, were named a leader in Magic Quadrant and took the top spot for ability to execute, which means our ability to deliver on time, on budget, and uh, high quality. That that's what, that's what clients, enterprise clients want. They want dependability, they want predictability. Um, they want to be able to manage their cost within an OPEX envelope, and they want to make sure that they get a product that uh, delivers on, on its expectations. And um, we're pretty proud that, uh, that we've had a third party come along our side and validate that we've got the highest performing checkout 
of uh, any commerce platform in the world. So, you know, those combinations of how you orchestrate your team um, and when and how they show up along the customer journey is probably most well pronounced in the enterprise space. I love that. That's awesome. Um, so going back to your article, so you mentioned Shopify challenges the, the Overton window, which is the range of ideas which are considered acceptable or reasonable in public discourse. You said that Shopify operates at the edge of this. Uh, can you explain what this means, what you meant by that, and how does this affect the way Shopify thinks and acts? Yeah, you know, we, um, we thrive on being unorthodox, like with, with great intentionality going in the opposite direction of what mainstream, um, mainstream professionally run companies have a tendency to do. Um, and the thought there is if you're, if you're inside the Overton window, if you're in kind of this restricted space of, uh, possible execution or, or thinking you're going to end up repeating the same ideas over and over again. And nothing new really comes from that. You have minor iterations around the outside, but at the end of the day, you're running a playbook that's been run by everybody else in the marketplace. And, and getting outside the Overton window is really about how do you break the mold of doing what everybody else has been doing? And what's, what's the new path? What's the, what's the, and how do you do it with a speed and velocity that um, ensures that it actually gets executed on? So, you know, examples of that, we, we do some crazy things sometimes. And, and when you first come to the business, you're like, what did we just do? Um, I'll give you an example. We, um, in January, we, we wiped out Slack, all the Slack messages that we had in the business. We wiped out all the meeting calendars that we had except those that were with our customers and uh, we said with high intentionality kind of a chaos monkey approach reset and recalibrate and make sure you're spending your time in places that matter don't attend meetings if they aren't high impact don't put that meeting back on your calendar just because it's always been there and i think these are the types of things that sound small, but over the course of years and then decades of rituals that build up in the business, you can remove the productive amount of time that you spend actually building things for our customers. And you can get sucked into this cross-company communication administrivia swirl that just kills innovation. And so like that would be an example of doing something radically outside of the norm. Most would probably say you probably shouldn't do that at the beginning of a year when you're trying to launch and get a, get a good start to the new fiscal. Um, but I gotta tell you, it was, it was fascinating. Like the amount of time that we took out of, um, pointless meetings that really weren't moving the business ahead and weren't providing great customer experience was massive. I think only 30% of the meetings ended up back on the calendar. So just think about that. How much productivity is gained wow. by being intentional about doing something radically different from the norm? Wow. That, yeah, that's that's so funny. I mean, it, it sounds like from talking to a bunch of also founders and founder-led companies, it sounds like it's almost like this magic combination of 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 risk-taking velocity and purpose-driven companies. So it's like, if you have that trifecta, it really means the beautiful things. And going back to like those first principles of why do we need this meeting? You know, what is, why, why do we have all these meetings on our calendar? That's so, that's so interesting. Um, do you have any other examples of how Shopify is pushing the boundaries of this Overton window with, with its products and services or, or maybe partnerships that you, that you've worked on? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, every well-run company spends time listening to its customers. That, that's baseline. If you're not listening to your customers, you probably have all sorts of other problems um, across how you operate. At Shopify, we do that, but then we also, I would tell you, we also have a keen eye on the future. And I, you, you look at things like what we just announced a little while ago with Sidekick, 
it's part of uh, an AI-driven assistant that sits alongside. Our, our point of view is every every business owner, regardless of size, whether you're an entrepreneur or, or an enterprise, is a hero in their in their world, and every hero needs a sidekick. Um, that innovation started, you know, well before I think the Gen AI kind of hype that has hit the market uh, of late. Um, our founders personally and deeply involved in the creation of of Sidekick. Now, I think over time that was probably brand new to the marketplace. It was new um, to to the industry. Others will catch up, but that that's another example of yes, we listen to our customers, but we're also keeping an eye on what's five years out, what's ten years out, and where most companies I think would would innovate to the need here and now, we're constantly doing work um, in the world of crypto and token gating. We're doing work in uh, AR, VR, and what that means to retailers of the future. Um, we're doing a tremendous amount of work in helping, um, helping our merchants be able to do media buys and marketing buys and placement and market that they've never been able to do before. These are things that we know are going to be important to the success of small businesses and and enterprises alike. Um, isn't necessarily something that they've asked for, but we know that it's coming. Um, so we build ahead of those expectations so that when the time is right, uh, we're ready with a compelling solution that helps them go out and win and have a competitive advantage. How, how is that conducted internally? Are there just separate teams that go off and work on, you know, moonshot kind of ideas, almost like a Google model, or is it, or is it more of of this interaction between the wider org? How how does that actually work out? Yeah, it all falls back into GSD, right? These are small teams set out on a mission, given full empowerment. You know, we we haven't talked much about GSD. I know you mentioned it in our conversation before we got started. You know. Most companies ship, you know, some ship every quarter, some ship every month. I remember in a past life, um, I ran engineering team for about nine months and uh, trying to get the organization comfortable with shipping every every three weeks was was like, you know, stretching the boundaries of how fast an organization can move. We ship weekly. Every single week, there's a review. Every single week, there's uh, an approval for the next stage. And um, we pride ourselves on being able to move quickly um, to create these small teams and give them all the empowerment they need to go off and and innovate and design. Um, and they come back with some of the amazing things I just talked about. So I, I don't think that that's... Um, unique. I think most organizations that invest in kind of these innovative areas have learned the power of small teams with a clear mission and mandate. Um, so long as they come with the removal of friction. And I think that's one of the things we do uniquely well is we defriction those teams and give them complete accountability and autonomy to go out, design, build, and create something new. How do you do that? So, so do they not need approval? They have like authority to do things within a certain realm. Like how does that velocity, how does that weekly shipping actually come onto play? Yeah. Within GSD, there's um, a series of steps in terms of design, prototyping, um, build, and then ship. And at each one of those, um, there's a review process that happens if there, if there is a requirement for a review. Normally, it's the leader of of that particular team that's making that call. Um, then there's something called an OK2, which would be, you know, a, a someone more senior that's just taking a look across all the projects that are in flight. And if there's questions or anything that needs to be discussed, it happens during that that review process. Um, great opportunity for near real time feedback on how things are progressing, or maybe giving a different idea or an angle on kind of the next step and then it it moves through the system fairly quickly. I mean that that is the power of GSD is 
every week that there's a review of the next stage, the next step, feedback loops, move to the next step, feedback loop, move to the next step. That's so cool. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen both sides of the coin. Um, and I've seen organizations get, you know, caught up in this like monotony of reviews and approvals and having to go escalate things higher and higher and higher. Um, wow. Okay. Um, so, so Shopify has also been, I mean, you yourself are probably very active in forming strategic partnerships with a lot of different players in the e-commerce system, such as Melio, Stripe, YouTube, Google cloud. How do you approach these collaborations from like your perspective, from a chief revenue officer perspective? Yeah, I, I start with, it's all about giving our customers options. At the end of the day, whether it's uh, our, our partnership with Adyen, which we're very excited about across Europe, that solves a problem in the market. It creates um, an expanded footprint for our retailers to operate really pretty much anywhere across Europe and Middle East. Um, our partnership with Melio, our partnership with, with Stripe, which is a, an amazing partnership that we continue to stay very close to, Clavio. All of this is just extending the core of what Shopify does and enabling customers to you know, add on things that make their customer journeys unique and give them a competitive advantage. You know, some of our, some of my favorite um, partnerships are the ones uh, like our ISVs that do custom work specifically by industry that bring to life something unique. Warranties are super important in consumer electronics. You don't really have warranties if you're in the fashion space. So connecting customers in consumer electronics to those third parties that have specialized in their domain creates just a much more compelling experience. And, um, and so we seek them out every day. We, we, we have partnerships that we've onboarded that you've mentioned. We have many others that are in process that continue to expand customer choice and they also expand, obviously, Shopify's reach, which is the other half of that equation. And, you know, our partners are a big part of our go-to-market. Um, and we're making major investments in that in 23 and 24 and beyond. So how do you how do you weigh the benefits and, and costs of a partnership? Or is it always, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you decide which partnerships to pursue? Um, is it like an inbound versus outbound? How do, exactly does that work, like internally? And then, yeah, how do you weigh those, those benefits? Yeah, I, um, I'll give you an example, like up until about a year ago when I first got here, we, um, most of our partners were really serving our small businesses, generally speaking. Um, as we had built a product called commerce components and we were moving aggressively into the enterprise space, it was clear we needed a different partner ecosystem to serve that community. We didn't have that partner ecosystem, so we had to go out and find it. Um, so we started striking relationships and commercial terms with uh, the global systems integrators, Accenture, EY, KPMG, Deloitte, um, Cognizant, like the people that are having conversations, the firms that are having conversations with enterprises about their digital transformation. Um, so we saw a need in the market, we saw an audience that we had product market fit for, but not the partner ecosystem to come along our side and help support that, that solutioning for that particular community. So we went out and recruited it. Um, we're doing the same thing with our retail business today. You know, Shopify is definitely known as an e-commerce company, but we're actually much more than that. Um, we're building the retail operating. We believe we're building the retail operating system for the world. Um, and in order to do that, you also have to be a commerce company. You have to be in brick and mortar. And we have an amazing retail point of sale product that is deeply integrated with your e-commerce platform, does all the tax treatment, understands your product, one single inventory management system, true omni-channel experiences. But we need partnerships that are different than our e-commerce partnerships. So we're in the process of doing that exact same thing with um with brick and mortar retail locations so going out identifying who the key players are bringing them in same thing with our b2b offering we we have um 
made huge strides in our wholesale capabilities and building out a unified commerce platform, which really stretches across e-com, retail, and B2B. And that's a different set of partners. The ERPs play a huge role in the B2B space. Integrated supply chain, supply chain management becomes first and foremost for our B2B clients. That's a different partner ecosystem than um, than traditional e-com. So, you know, we're constantly looking for the the best partners in the industry, people who are passionate about their customers, just like we are, who share in a mission um, similar to ours. And um, when we can find that and uh, we put the two together, we can do magic. How do you make the, the decision between building versus buying? Like not maybe not buying, but partnering versus building. Like where do you make the trade-off and say, this is something that we actually want to bring into our product teams and build this out? Or, you know, we have a partner that would be great for this. Let's just use this partnership and, and move forward. Yeah. You know, I think um, what just happened with our... Um, our logistics and shipping business is a great example of that, right? Like we talk about main quest and side quests all the time. Uh, our main quest is making amazing commerce software. Like an amazing commerce software has extensions to it, um, but there are others in the world that do what they do uniquely well. Supply chain and logistics is one of them. Um, and we realized that Flexport was wakes up every day and their mission is 100% focused on creating great logistics network globally for their customers. Um, Stripe is another great partnership that we have. Um, Stripe is an amazing payments processor and we have relationships with PayPal who also does that extremely well. So our partnerships are really around the areas that are adjacent to our core quest, maybe not um, part exactly squarely in our space. And we look for those that are best in breed and, and we partner with those that have world-class ambitions in their domain and marry that up with what we do extremely well, which is commerce. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that main quest or side quest. I've never heard that before. That's really cool. So, so speaking of, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how much you can disclose here, but thinking about growth, like, because it's all underneath kind of your, your org, right? How do you think about, or what are the main different growth channels that you're thinking through? Is it omni-channel? Is that really, you know, Shopify's like main focus or do you have your hands in a few different channels? And if you can disclose whatever they, they might be, how is Shopify thinking about growth? I'm, I'm smiling a little bit because I see growth everywhere. I guess that's kind of my job. Um, you know, we, we have an amazing product for entrepreneurs and we do a great job um, an amazing value, candidly, um, that we provide to, to anybody who wants to get started and get a business up and running. Shopify, like you go out on, on all social media and you hear people say, if you only had $1,000 or $10,000, what would you do? And everybody says, I would start a Shopify storefront and here's what I would go do. Like that's how they would get going again. Um, and we do that well. And, and um, you know, there's, there's growth to be had there. As you come up market um, into mid, large, and enterprises, we think there's such tremendous opportunity. And, you know, we have really good traction. Um, some amazing brands, Mattel, Zulily, um, so many, Glossier, Gymshark, um, Staples, um, uh, Suntory in Japan, um, like so massive brands that are coming over to Shopify. And um, we think there's a better way of doing e-commerce um, in those spaces. Like I think most enterprises have become accustomed to kind of this old archaic view of um, what SaaS should be. It's almost like building a house. It's going to cost 30% more and take 30% longer. And I'll get 80% of what I need and I kind of have to figure out the other 20 on my own. Um, we think there's another way. Um, our software is built for ease of use uh, and ease of deployment and customization. And it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. And 
it doesn't have to take forever to implement. Um, I, I was I was corrected in a um, in a meeting where I said we make things simple, and and uh, someone in the meeting said, "Hey, you know, our software is extremely complex, but great software written well." takes the complex thing and makes it simple. So we make what I would argue to be the most powerful commerce platform in the world, simple and easy to use. And that's just very different than what most enterprises are used to seeing. And every single time we engage and we go through the deployment, every single time we do a launch, the the shock and disbelief that we could execute in the time frame we did, deliver with the quality we did, and that they actually see the performance that we tell them that they're going to see in increased conversion and uh, better better end-to-end customer journeys and connections back into their uh, inventory control systems that are seamless. Every single time um, you get this, you know, I, I heard you, but I'm not sure if I believe that it was actually going to happen this well. Like that's that's a space where we believe we have tremendous growth, retail, B2B. And then we have this other part of our business called merchant services, which is a collection of offerings that really surround the commerce experience, um, helping our businesses get access to capital, helping them set up um, subscriptions, um, creating integrations and links back into their ERP. There's so many other things that we wrap around the outside of entrepreneurs and enterprise to to make sure that they have an end-to-end experience that is well-designed and connected. So I see growth everywhere. Um, and, uh, and we're just getting started. We have really good traction, uh, but that's the thing that motivates me the most is I think our next five years are going to be bigger growth, even better than what we've done in the last five. And that's, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm going to get to the, to the next five years in a second, but, um, speaking of growth and growth and enterprise. So part of commerce components, I saw that you guys recently made shop pay publicly available. So, so any enterprise can come in and use this like very highly converting, um, uh, checkout feature, uh, and then I saw a lot of publicity around how it's the highest converting. So is that kind of a, a path into enterprise saying, hey, we're going to show the first part of our promise, which is really highly converting or the great customer journeys. We're going to show that through shop pay. You're going to experience that. It's almost like a product led growth because you'll see the value very quickly. And you're like, well, they delivered on this promise. I'm sure we should just move over a lot of our a lot of our stack to Spotify. Is that kind of the strategy there? Is that part of this enterprise? That's exactly growth? it. Yeah. No, you got it. You got it. I'm glad it was that transparent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, there are so there are so many. Um, you know, it, most people don't understand this in the in the enterprise space. About 45 percent of the market is actually custom builds. These are enterprises that retailers and huge brands that four or five years ago, the software wasn't where they needed it to be. Nobody had a solution that met their requirements. So they went out and built it on their own. They custom developed all of the storefront, all of the backend, all of the tax treatments, and they've had to manage that forever. Now in the economic situation we're in right now, it's, you know, it's a little bit different by geography around the world, but generally speaking, most are revisiting and saying, Hey, I would love to redeploy this massive amount of dev resources that I have supporting this thing that we built and have them go work on Gen AI or have them go work on a new customer experience, but I can't because they're beholden to this Frankenstein that's been built in the market um, because we had to. But now fast forward into 2023 and heading into 24, the things that they've built on their own, companies like Shopify have mastered because we run 10% of commerce in North America. Like we've, we've engineered the customer journey and fine-tuned it for performance. Like we've taken all the things that five years ago were unheard of and brought them mainstream and put them into the power of our enterprise offering. So you can't just tear down this big monolith that you've built 
um, of all these different parts, sometimes you have to start with what's the first highest impact thing that I can put into my um, e-commerce experience that's going to drive the biggest outcome for us. And let's do that first. And then we'll work our way into improving the top of funnel customer journey with storefront, improving the cart and checkout experience after the fact. And that first step has been shop pay off a of checkout. It's it's a great opportunity. It's the highest converting one click accelerated checkout in the world. Um, we we have performance guarantees against it. That if you're uh, connected to our checkout, we will guarantee that you will have a particular outcome that you can bank on. Um, and we've seen it over and over again. We actually this is part of the third party study that came out that shows the sheer presence of having shop pay on your website drives up conversion rate. Um, I won't talk about the alternatives, but I can tell you um, if you're if you're using any of the other one-click checkouts, I almost slipped and said a couple names. Um, if you're using any of the other one-click checkouts, you're losing out on conversion rate. Well, yeah, that's, that's so, so interesting because that was the first thing that came to my head when you were talking about you know, all these different, the monoliths that come up, you know, they have this huge software on the back end that they're maintaining. Like, well, how do you convince them to move over to, you know, this, to throw it all away? You've invested millions of dollars in developing the software. And I think that that's a genius approach. I love that. That's so cool. Um, really cool. Really like, like that strategy. Um, cool. So what are your, you, Bobby Morrison, what are your vision and goals for Shopify for the next five years? This, this may sound, well, I'll just tell you, my, my vision and goal is the same as our founder. I want to be a part of building this to a hundred year company. I won't, I won't be around to see what that looks like. I'm one of the older, older members of the leadership team. Um, but I, I love, I love this company. It, it's so unique. Our focus is so geared on the customer. We don't get distracted with things from the outside. Um, we don't get distracted on what our competition is doing. We stay myopically focused on creating amazing customer experiences and uh, building great software. Like we are, make no mistake, we are a engineering first company. And I think a lot of organizations say that it is deeply entrenched into who we are and i'm just happy to be here i got to tell you I, I i've um i had someone reach out to me not too long ago and you know we all get these calls um hey what do you want to do next and almost always i have an answer to that question what i want to do next is what i'm doing right now i really enjoy the people i get to work with every day i'm learning in ways I've never learned before this outside the Overton window, Parkinson's law and how you think about time management, the listening to our founder just talk and how he thinks about business that it's refreshing to me. And in a career of 30 plus years working for some amazing companies, um, have fresh eyes and feel like you're learning just like you were coming out of college again, like that's invigorating. And uh, I think that's something that the entire organization latches onto. We're going to grow the business. Um, we're going to take share. We're going to compete aggressively in the market. Um, we're going to shock some people, which is, I think, part of my job. Um, and we're going to make our customers happy. Um, we're going to uh, surprise and delight uh, our customers with kind of over-supporting, over-engaging, over-helping, and then watching them go out and win. Um, I don't know what else to add. I mean, that's I love what I do, and um, this is a great place. It's unique. Is there anything that you can, you can give me a teaser on for, for a shocker uh, that Shopify is maybe working on that's public? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> you, you probably have to figure out what's what's public and what's not public first. But. Yeah, I'm going through my head what I'm allowed to share with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, We have an investor day coming up. There's going to be some shockers uh, there when they look at some of the growth we're putting on the board um, that maybe we don't talk about all the time. Look, this may not be a shocker, but I would tell you we are getting traction. And um, I won't give you the number because I don't think we've said it publicly, but we look at um, just recently, and I, I, I just, you know, you dig into your backpack of your experiences in the past and you, uh, you try to put them through a decoder ring and say, how would they apply here? So back in the um, telecommunications world, there used to be something called local number portability, LNP. LNP would be your import export rate of how many customers are leaving you and going to the competition, how many are coming from the competition and going to you. And you always wanted that ratio to be above one. That mean, meant you were taking share. And normally, if you were clobbering somebody in the market, you were three to one, four to one. If you were losing, you were 0.5 to one, something along those lines. We just put that in place here at Shopify. And um, I can tell you that our import-export rate versus the competition is closer to like 10 to 1. And against certain very big names, 15 to 1. So we are we are winning in ways that I'm not yet sure the market completely understands. Um, but our team knows, the competition knows. And um, you know, one of these days we'll get we'll get our competition mentioning us in their earnings call is part of the reasons why uh, why they're not growing as fast as they used to grow. I'm pretty excited. I'm I'm extremely optimistic about our path forward and the machine, the system that we're building here is unique. It's not it's not cookie cutter. It's not a repeat from someplace else. It is uniquely built and designed for Shopify. And, um, and it's showing up and it's winning, which is good. That's awesome. You have me bought in. That's it. I'm hundred percent bought in. You got me fired up. <laughs> Come on in. Come on over, Joshua. Yeah. Come on over. Um, question about more your career. So you have an amazing career. I mean, obviously you've, you've done some amazing things. You spent 19 plus years at Verizon. Um, you had some amazing positions at Microsoft and into it. For those just at the beginning of their careers, a lot of us listening are in their MBAs or or right after. Um, what kind of advice would you give someone just starting off? You know, this is actually a pretty easy question for me. My um, my son's a senior at SMU, um, so we have this conversation all the time. You know, it's it's finding a place. Uh, first of all, whatever you think you're going to do immediately out of college, the likelihood that you're going to be doing that 20, 30 years from now, is probably slim to none. If you enjoy solving problems um, and you remain tired, like just curious beyond belief about how to solve that problem and trying to seek out creative alternative ways to the way everybody else has approached it, and you find those that are doing an amazing job in the career that you would like to go into and spend time with them, learn exactly what they do, you're going to do amazing things. There, it, there's an it factor. It's a, it's a, I don't know how to explain it. It's, um, I know, I'm a little bit stumped on how to, how to explain it. It's, you know, it's, there's an aggressive grit that I think a lot of, um, a lot of people coming out of college maybe maybe have a misguided perception of what it's going to be like when you get out there and, and, and start working. There are people that are just successful because they know how to put together that winning formula. They're, they're the athletes that have pushed themselves harder than everybody else. They understand that in order to get ahead, you have to be willing to do the things that no one else is willing to do. They're the ones that run to the really hard problem, not away from it. They're constant learners. They're curious. And they know how to protect themselves because here's, here's one of the things I talk a lot about. I feel like I'm rambling here a little bit, but one of the things I, I talk about is not just what to do, but what to avoid. 
every company, every business that you go into, I don't care how good they are, there's going to be 10% that will, that is just not happy where they are. They're the most vocal. They're the ones that misery always loves company. I think avoiding that group, like the plague, is super important. And surrounding yourself with those that are like-minded like you, that have high aspirations for what the future holds, who are committed to the mission at hand and who are out there demonstrating and winning every single day. I think that's the group you want to hang around. I see so, so many people, especially young, get caught up in that first group because they're the most vocal. They're the ones that reach out and say hi first. Stay away. It, it, it just suck you, suck you down, and um, nothing good comes from that. Oh, I love that! I love that. Again, f- fire me up, man. So you got you to just grind. It sounds like and and stay true and solve hard problems. Be like water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be like water. You just gotta. There's a way. It may not be easy, but there is always a way. Yeah. Uh, what's your uh, when you're looking to hire, what are some of the main things that you think about? Like, are you looking for people like that who are just constantly solving hard problems? And then how do you, how do you make sure that yeah. those are the, those people, the people that you're, that you're interviewing or hiring? Yeah, no, that's really good. I like, um, I believe unlike the stock market, past performance is not a future indicator of results. Um, I believe the opposite. It absolutely is a future indicator of results. If you've been able to perform at a high level, if you're the top 1%, and we just, we just brought over um, one of the president's cabinet top 1% winners from our competition is coming to Shopify. I just got that note today. I personally went out and recruited that individual. It wasn't our recruiting team, wasn't the manager. This is a, this is a rep, an enterprise sales rep. Normally that wouldn't happen, but I look personally for those people that are amazing at what they do. And I try to bring them into an environment where I can make, help make them better. And I can show them a path where, where their ability is uniquely rewarded and that they have a career that's beyond Uh, the individual contribution that they have today. So I take great pride in, in going out and trying to find those people. Um, the, typically the ones that show up though, that come through, you know, recruiting funnels or alike, you always question like, are they on the way out? They could be great interviewers, especially on the sales side. And most of the salespeople, very good interviewers. Like they're well-trained and honed to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Um, but the proof is in, show me where you've left your fingerprints on the business. Um, I'm a firm believer in, in back channel and reference checks, not just the ones they give you, but the ones they don't give you. Um, I think you have to, especially for executives, you have to surround and say, you know, are they ready? Are they ready for, um, this next role? And then the, the last one here at Shopify is actually pretty important. You know, I think most organizations, most professionally run companies, if you're a great operator of the business, you could do extremely well. Your job is you've been given a team of resources. You've been given a a remit of what you have to go after. And your job is to kind of operate. At Shopify, operators are not wildly successful. Um, operators have a tendency to look across the organization and if something's missing, they'll, they'll kind of point and say, Hey, go fix that at Shopify. You need to be a builder, not an operator. When you see something missing, it's, it's the opera. You have to be, you have to get energy from saying, ah, I get to build this the way that I want it. I get to build it in a way that that I would never be able to do in that last job. And that is the energy that you get from the business. So I try to tease that out. What are the things that you've gone out and built on your own? 
How are they unique? Did you run into challenges in building them within the company you were in? How did you navigate those? Because by the way, if you're not pushing the boundaries, if you're not touching a third rail, then guess what? You're probably operating in that over 10 window. And I want people who like to live in those extremes on the outside um, because that's where real innovation comes from. That's where the new stands out and that becomes a competitive advantage. So I look for that in my interviews. and, And I also, and maybe one last one, I said the last one was the last one, but I got one more for you. I like to put people through role plays. I know it's old school. I give them pick a top, middle, or low performer. Like walk me through how you have that conversation. And what I'm really looking for, especially in leaders, do they have empathy? Are they connecting with their team? Or are they treating that individual as an output, a number, uh, a percent to plan, uh, a productivity level? Because at the end of the day, great leaders get help their employees find what their best looks like. And you can only do that when your trust meter is high, you're deeply connected to their success, and you're engaging with an empathetic voice. Like you've been there, you understand it, you're connected, and you're helping them to try to succeed. I think leaders that don't have that may get the results for a short period of time, but they won't get it for a long period of time because they'll lose their people. Awesome. Whoever is lucky enough to have the privilege of working for you. That's, uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all that. I mean, that's gives, gives a lot, all of us a lot to chew on. Um, all right. So we have last couple quick questions. I call it this, the lightning round, it's just kind of quick questions just to get your thoughts on some, some various things. Um, do you have any top book recommendations in general in life? Well, life gets pretty broad. Um, I mean, look, I, I've been reading, um, burn the boats by Matt Higgins, I think is really good. Uh, I wrote another blog around the power of commitment. Like there's so much to be had there. And I, I love the notion of kind of a no retreat mentality when you go after something. Um, so I thought, I think Matt, Matt Higgins is pretty good. Anti-fragile Nassim Tlaib. I, I spent some time, um, building out flywheels when I design system architecture that underpins our operating model and self-healing i call it self-healing networks of things that that get better every time a defect is discovered i think those are the ones that that um once you get implemented i think drive tremendous transformation over time like they just pick up speed and momentum and um so I, I love the notion of anti-fragile. Um, you can't go wrong with Proverbs. So, you know, I live there as well. I think there's some grounded truth that I think sometimes gets lost in the world that, um, you know, it's good to get back to your roots. It's a little more of a life perspective. But at the end of the day, I look, there's so much wisdom out there. Um, I try to keep an, an open ear and 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 listen to everyone i learned from my son read books i learned from our leadership team i learned from my team they teach me new things every day and makes it fun speaking of uh learning from the wisdom in the world if people want to learn from you what would be the best way to do so best way to reach out or follow you um linkedin's probably the best i don't really have much of a, a social presence outside of that um I'm, I'm starting to publish more blogs more consistently i think the things that are on my mind, like the 180 days or the view of commitment. I'm working on another one called the gold Jersey pursuit of best. Like how do you do that? And what does it look like? So I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that there. And who knows, maybe, maybe more podcasts down the road. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's been a huge privilege, Bobby. I wish I had four more hours to talk through everything else, but uh, we talked through life, talked through Shopify, your career. Um, really appreciate the time. Um, it's been really valuable for us. So thanks again and have a great rest of your day in Dallas, Texas. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joshua.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please like or comment on social media, or even consider leaving us a review. It really helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast. Or you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, at Wharton Fintech. And there you can find interviews, articles, and so much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Saria. And until next time, I'm your host, Josh Benedivo. Thank you.